Hey, this is Eugene Rapkin, and you're listening to the Style Zeitgeist Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back on the podcast, and I am happy to have my friend Philippe Hashemi back, uh, one of the uh, not very many fashion journalists whose work I love, who I think has a sharp mind. And uh, last time on the program, we uh, had an overview of the women's wear season. It was a very successful episode, and I thought we should probably make it a tradition. So now with the men's wear uh, fall winter 21 shows ending, we thought we should discuss uh, this season and uh, I'm curious, uh, Philippe, uh, obviously, what you thought about it. And uh, let's dive in. Well, thanks a lot, Eugene. I'm very happy to be uh, on the podcast again. It's an honor. I'm very glad that we get to do this again. Um, where should I start? I mean, are there some favorite shows that you'd like me to talk about a general mood of the season? Or how do you see this let's start with the general mood yeah what what did you think overall even though this was a abbreviated season right that a lot we didn't you know a lot of names were missing from the calendar and they're going to do things on their own time but even with this abbreviated season yeah what did you think overall i thought it was very um very positive in a way because for me it was a step into a new direction and what I mean by that is that this idea of lazy sportswear might very soon come to an end, which makes me very happy. I saw quite a lot of structure, tailoring, strength, uh, clothes that were almost like an armor, protective, uh, made in a very detailed way. And it really felt like this idea of volume that I've been a bit obsessed with lately because my feeling is that fashion for the past five years has been very much uh, 2D, flat on our screens, you know, sort of uh, Instagram ready. And now I have the feeling that designers are in love with uh, volume again and shape and, and doing things that are much more, um, much more enveloping and um, that deal with the body in a different way. So I felt it was quite exciting, this kind of, this kind of idea. Yeah, I agree. I also felt it was a pretty strong season overall, uh, as fall winter tends to be in a way, uh, in a way it's always better than spring, summer. There's just so many more possibilities, of course, in terms of layering and outerwear and really highlighting the tailoring. But yeah, I agree that the lack of streetwear was really refreshing. Uh, and yes, tailoring and volume was also really refreshing um, to see. And uh, the big question remains, will the consumer follow for me? That's, that's the big question. Well, it sort of depends what kind of consumer you have in mind. <laughs> and um, that is exactly the point I <laughs> wanted to come to. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, there's definitely, so, there's been this, I think we reach a sort of saturation point or a level of boredom with, uh, you know, comfort fashion, logo, clothes, uh, lazy things. I just don't know how long you can keep buying these things for before it becomes really, really boring. So the consumer might be craving something a bit more complex now or a bit more challenging. I'm not sure. Or at least that's the feeling I get from the designers themselves. This is what they're craving right now. Uh, so they're not going for the things that are easy. They're going for the things that are technically more difficult, more constructed. And hopefully that's sending out a powerful message to the consumer about what they should yeah. wear and how they should present themselves with the idea that soon, you know, we'll be able to get out of this pandemic and, and show off again, you know, so to speak and look our best and act our best. So maybe that's also, mm -hmm. uh, that's also the idea. Yeah. Uh, I hope that find it they find that consumer because consumer is exactly who I've been thinking about when I was looking at, uh, my two favorites, Virgil Abloh and Kim Jones. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I want to start with Louis Vuitton. Um, what did you and, think about it, actually, Vuitton? Because it was not as bad as it usually is. I don't know. My feeling it was, was not as bad at all. I thought yeah. this was the strongest outing by Virgil uh, by far. Yeah, I thought. Obviously, you know, bringing in Ibrahim, uh, sorry, what's his last name? Ibrahim. Um, oh, the, the stylist, the, the stylist. new stylist. Yes. This, yeah, the, this young guy from South Africa, I think he did a great job. Um, and it helped elevate the collection for sure. I liked parts of the video. Um, but... My pr problem is this. Uh, let me see how I can articulate it uh, best. So with Louis Vuitton, we saw this. Uh, there was definitely, you know, it, it dealt with identity issues. Um, and, you know, so, so Williams is someone whose work I've been following for quite a long time. And he sort of opened the show um, with, with his poem, I assume. Um, but here's the problem for me with the political angle for Louis Vuitton and sort of the art angle for Kim Jones. Um, if High Beasts is the audience you have cultivated for yourself, then who is really listening to your message, even if there is a message and it's a pretty powerful one? Like, to be honest, to me, it feels a little bit like pearls before swine, if I'm being completely honest. I don't think by the time it gets to the final consumer, I think these messages are absolutely lost. And I felt that with the case of Lee Vuitton, it was a more powerful message. I thought there was more in there. And with Kim Jones, as usual, I felt like you're just dressing up mediocre clothes by attaching yourself to art 
and and I like what Angela Flacaventa said about it, is just making fashionistas feel, uh, you know, cultured and intellectual <laughs> when they're nothing of the sort. Well, for me, the thing with uh, with Vuitton is that most of the clothes won't actually be produced. I mean, I already saw exactly. the runway collections previously in Paris in the showroom, and most of it will never be made. So that's sort of like, you know, uh, it's a bit of a downer, I guess, uh, when you see some of the clothes. But for me, the clothes this time were maybe more powerful than the message. So they were really garments that you you could want and you desired and that you were craving for. But when you explore something about stereotypes and masculinity, the danger is that it becomes stereotypical and it also becomes a bit vague, which was my feeling with that collection. So I saw a lot of different statements sort of shoved in together, but I couldn't extract one single idea out of the collection. That was my main problem with it. Despite that, I thought the pieces were beautiful and there were definitely things that were very mm -hmm. desirable which I didn't feel for Dior at all, because for me, Dior is just about selling accessories. I mean, the clothing is almost yeah. irrelevant and, and so generic that the only thing yeah. that stood out was the bags. And I think that's clearly what they yeah. want. I mean, the clothing is some sort of, you know, fair valoir for the accessory. And mm -hmm. that's kind of what they're pushing. So uh, the clothes were almost irrelevant at Dior in a way. You know, what was it? Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's the per per personal uh, record for me this time, like the show, the video for Dior actually looked worse than the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I think that's the first for me. I don't remember liking the show worse than the photos. It, it's starting to get really dull with this kind of, you know, let's film the models walk around, let's zoom in on their faces. I mean, Prada did it. Uh, six months ago, and it starts getting a little bit, uh, a little bit predictable what they're doing. And also, you know, the funny thing at Dior is that these guys are just staring into the screen, looking bored. You know, I mean, there's no, there's no feeling there, no emotion, no, no particular energy. It's just really sanitized and flat and mm -hmm. kind of sterile. You know, that's, that's really what I felt, yeah. uh, watching it. Whereas in Vuitton, there was a level of imperfection and and something a bit more fragile that made it interesting. Uh, strangely, because I, I'd be the last person to say I was into some of the things that, you know, Vuitton men's would do. But I, <laughs> I, I have to admit that there were things that were quite, quite powerful in that collection. Mm -hmm. But, you know, going back to this idea of emotion, I think the best collections are the ones that trigger strong emotional uh, responses like Rick Owens's collection or yeah. um, Undercover or um, yeah. Yoji, which was also very beautiful. Incredible. I felt that, you know, there was a darkness in these collections, but at the same time, it felt very current and uh, powerful and almost kind of tragic in a way or angry. I mean, Rick talked a lot about anger and, and challenging that, mm -hmm. that energy into the clothes. But to me, that just felt very vibrant and quite emotional. I don't know what you thought about these collections, yeah. but for yeah. me, they, they really resonated uh, this time. 
Yeah, I mean, you just named my top three, you know, Undercover, Recollins, and Yoji. Honestly, like these were, I thought, the, the strongest collections. Um, I loved how deceptively simple Undercover was and how stunning at the same time, like those graphics. And even though, you know, he's, you know, he's done a Mikhail Boreman's collection before, and this time it was not Mikhail Boreman's. I made that mistake before with June. I asked him because I think he has a painting in his house by uh, the same painter who did, uh, you know, the fishtail parka mm -hmm. with the boy and the butterflies. It's really stunning piece, which I already started saving for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, uh, um, uh, it felt, it just felt so real. And I was, here's what I was trying to do, Philippe, and I'm, I'm curious about your take. I thought, why does this latching on to culture um, feel so fake with Dior? It does feel like latching on to, to culture and it doesn't feel fake when like, Jun Takahashi does it, or Takahiro Miyashita does it for the soloist. Um, and I thought, okay, I've never met Kim Jones. I don't really know, you know, what his cultural tastes are. But I thought, first of all, if those, you know, the, the, those two, Jun and Taka, they're just showing clothes. They don't have this sleek marketing machine behind them that throws it in your face. Um, and I think that's one thing that makes a difference. And the second thing is that this is, they live it and breathe it and they're putting out into the world what they live and breathe and making a proposition and hoping to find like-minded people. And that feels genuine to me. And I've never felt anything genuine with Dior under Kim Jones. It's always like, you know, what do the high beasts want? You know, oh, they want Daniel Orsham, we give him Daniel Orsham. You know, they want cause, we give him cause. Uh, and <laughs> and then we give him Judy Blame and they're like, huh? Who's that? <laughs> no, you're right. It's it's very uh, it's a very gimmicky vision of fashion, and it's a very superficial vision of fashion. But I feel exactly the same way about Prada, which you know you could summarize with uh, you know a logo, triangle glove, some leggings, and a bomber jacket, and that was it. That was the message. I mean, it's supposed yeah. to be processed instantly. It's not supposed to be challenging on any kind of level. It's supposed to please everyone. So in the end, it pleases no one. And that's what it's about. You know, that's what this kind of so-called luxury product is about. It, it's kind of a yeah. devoid of a real sense of identity. And I think what you're saying about many, actually many Japanese designers, because now for some reason, again, I'm looking a lot at Japanese designers and I'm sort of, you know, realizing mm -hmm. that so many of them have been ripped off to death, you know, starting with obviously Reika Wakubo. Um, but, you know, Reika Wakubo is somebody that really, really uh, fascinates me because she's angry all the time. She's frustrated with fashion. She's yes. pissed off. And then she ends up making these collections that are just massive fuck offs you know, to everything they're just you know <laughs> yeah. they're just very this kind of defiant spirit and this rebellious uh edge is something that fashion really needs at the moment and i, I felt that in rick as well he talked a lot about anger 
and he talked about releasing yeah. that. And I like that, you know, it sort of appeals to me. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. there are many reasons to be frustrated right now, but we can be frustrated yeah. and still create things that are seductive and appealing and smart. And Absolutely. That's, I know? have nothing against anger as an emotion, you know, if you channel it, because you channel it in the right way and fantastic things come up because that's passion. And, and that's exactly if you're not yeah. driven by passion. What's the point? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, you should not be in, in, in this uh, line of work. <laughs> and, and I really believe that's what a lot of people in fashion expect right now. This kind of passion, as you describe it, this kind of invo involvement, taking a risk, you know, trying to do something that is, uh, that is pushing boundaries. And yes, it's, uh, it, I felt a very clear divide between people who are personally committed to making this work and others that just followed what was going on and gave us some really safe, predictable clothes. That's kind of what I felt was a yeah. big divide this, this season between mm -hmm. two kinds of mm -hmm. brands and two types of, of designers. Um, so yeah, the risk takers are always going to be the most exciting ones to look at. Yeah. And who did you think, you know, took the risks? I thought that Jonathan Anderson uh, did things that were quite risky for his own label. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, his use of volume, like these massive sort of tent uh, pants, the photography with Jorgen Teller, this kind of like silliness, this spontaneous touch, uh, sort of, you know, having fun with fashion again and being very carefree and not worrying about about anything, uh, just expressing yourself. I thought that was quite liberating. And I really liked the way he presented the collection. And I, I talked to him recently and I thought he was very refreshing in how um, mm. he's bored of this kind of generic, you know, fashion that we've all had to yeah. deal with for the past five or six years, you know, the kind of fashion that you predicted would happen. Uh, especially in menswear yeah. and he's, he's sort of sick of that. So he's looking for something that has, that has emotion in it and, and feeling into it. So I don't know. I think he's, uh, he's exploring different facets of menswear that are very, uh, very relevant. And I also really loved mm -hmm. Y project this time again, because I felt it was more mature, more polished, more tailoring. Yeah. Um, all these clothes that look like they had been blown by the wind and this kind of poetry felt very Belgian in a strange way, kind of, mm -hmm. you know, a mm -hmm. bit nostalgic, a bit sort of melancholy. And I like that a lot. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's I become... I have to say this is the second season. Sorry. I no, no, go, 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 go. Tell me. No, I, I was going to say this is the second season I'm liking Y Project. And, you know, we had a whole discussion about Y Project the last mm -hmm. time. And I know exactly what it is. Uh, I, thought this, I thought it was a fantastic collection, actually. And I know the reason is that he's getting away from this whole, like, Vetman aesthetic that he got swept up in, you know, that I detested. And now that he's gone, he's going, so he's moving away from it. I think now his talent is really shining through because there is a lot of talent there. And I love those clothes. 
you know, exactly those swirly. It was almost like Van Gogh kind of uh, <laughs> starry yeah, nights. It was very, it know, was very and artistic and it was kind of very um, dreamy. And it, it gave you this feeling that fashion can transport us somewhere else. And I think right now, because most of us are stuck at home or, you know, we feel like little rats in a cage, uh, fashion is a release. And it's a form of escape into that. I think he de- he, de- he dealt with this really beautifully, and it was not too much either. You know, it was like the right balance. Um, it was not like exactly it over, was not overstyled or kind of you know. So I felt it, it was quite quite beautiful that way. But yeah, it's um, he's definitely yeah. very very talented. Speaking of it, Amon, uh yeah, did you look you know, at that? So people, <laughs> That's great. Yes. Uh, well, I'll tell you because, you know, people always tell me, oh, you have to be open-minded and you have to be open-minded and uh, you have to look at more things. So I said, all right, fuck it, I'll go look because I have to be open-minded. And I looked at the first picture and it was... A bare-chested guy with the balaclava on his sweatpants with two holes <laughs> and anarchy sign painted on his torso. And I was like, fuck you, you know, fuck off. Like, no, I don't need to be open-minded. I know exactly what it's going to be. So I just shut it down. I was like, if that is your first look, you, you know, you're telling me everything in that first look. And I actually, no, I don't need to see it. But, you know, if there, if you saw something worthwhile, please tell me what I missed. No, it's, it's actually really sad. I mean, I, I did look at it and um, it's sort of like what's really funny about it is that, you know, when Vetements first appeared, everybody was going on about how, you know, they were going to change everything. And it was such a, you know, such a new look and everything and blah, blah, blah. And now it's just like sad rehash of, of whatever they managed to sell four years ago or three years ago. And it's just going on and on and it's stuck. It's sort of totally self-referential and it's not moving forward. I'm even questioning what the point of the brand is today. What, what is the point? I mean, like who buys that? Who wears I that? And, and do we care? Yeah, that's exactly the question. So it's yeah. for me, it's uh, just a... It's, yeah, I don't know. It's a waste of time, a waste of fabric. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just a, a waste of yeah, fabric. I it, like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was not a lot of fabric in the first look, you no, know. Like, not that look. So. That's true. Because <laughs> there was nothing on the torso. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's like this is one of those things I think we can safely sort of put an X over and just forget it existed it was it was great for the first three seasons and then yeah and then and then it wasn't um what else did you like i i want to talk about undercover a bit mm-hmm. uh because that just felt so right uh and so beautiful and again it was all the things we've seen from june before in terms of garments Mm -hmm. but they were at the same time familiar and unfamiliar and just put together it it felt like genuine fashion 
not dressed up with anything. You know, here's just like straight photos of the clothes. It was all about the clothes and it was all about the graphic universe of June, which I think is unparalleled. You know, I think he's unparalleled in terms of graphics. He's just does an incredible job and he, you know, he, he draws a lot himself. Um, but that's, that's what I loved. And I thought like, yeah, in terms of, creativity and wearability it was just the perfect balance because you could wear every of every single of those garments and not feel like you're wearing you know fashion but at the same time you are they were just like absolutely stunning yeah no i agree and i think there's a consistency there and there's a a quality and an intelligence in the design that just never goes away so you know it's very very reliable also in that sense. I'd be very curious to know what you thought about Dries because when I saw the images of the show, I was a bit surprised uh, by the kind of styling and direction it's taking. Yeah, I thought it was, it was fine. It was, yeah, there was not much to think about from my side, to be honest. Um, Again, I miss the sort of a defining graphic story, which I usually, that's what I love about Dries. There's usually like a defining graphic story that sort of ties the entire collection together. Mm -hmm. And this time I did not see that. So I missed that from Dries. I actually missed it in the last couple of collections from Dries. You know, this unifying graphic story which is sort of like signature dress for me um but i loved some things i loved the huge knit shorts uh i thought those were fun and new um i loved the sort of uh the weatherproof story a little bit you know the the khaki weatherproof things but yeah i did not find it particularly exciting i'm afraid to say what did you think well i mean uh you know, I, I love Dries, obviously, you know that, and I have a, a lot of respect for the for the man, for the work, you know, and for his his dedication to what he does and his love of, of fashion. But my feeling is that it's trying to be something now that in his mind is maybe like a younger customer or it's trying to appeal to a more kind of trendy sort of guy. And it sort of starts to feel like it's losing itself a little bit, you know, in, in this sort of, I don't know, there's something about the styling and something about some of the looks that felt a bit contrived to me. And I missed, mm -hmm. you missed the graphic story, but I missed the simplicity of something that is maybe a bit more soulful or romantic or poetic. I'm not getting that from Dries anymore, like the kind of poetic, mm -hmm aspect and i miss that because i think that's what made his collections touching on an emotional yeah. uh, level so i'm finding it it's more aggressive now it's more in your face and i don't mm -hmm. really understand how that relates to dries the man you know the person we know but so i'm not sure if it's a new side of his creativity that he wants to express or if it's something that he feels he has to do to fit that kind of market now, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder if it's, I heard that his menswear designer, head menswear designer sort of departed 
couple of seasons ago, maybe not so long ago. I wonder if that is also a change. I, I wonder if that contributes yeah. to the change mm -hmm. that you're thinking about. But I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, it was... It's not wow, you know, you don't look at it and suddenly you're like, wow, this exactly. is really, this is powerful. Exactly. There was nothing that I had to have in that collection. Mm. Yeah. yeah, nothing that I had to have. Psst. Nice things, no question. You know, I mean, Dries is still Dries and, you know, we, we love Dries to death, I know. But yeah, there was something, like you said, like it's, it's, it's simplified but without leaving that soul, which is, I guess, to go back to undercover, those clothes have soul. Yeah. And that's what really, that, that's what really shone through for me. Well, then um, that's a, be a nice transition for Yoji because that was very, very strong in terms of, you know, yes. feelings, <laughs> feelings there. Phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, phenomenal collection. Like the last couple of men's collections were, have been incredible, uh, I have to say. And and again, it's like, obviously, from a customer point of view, I will look at those prices and I want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but from a fashion standpoint, yeah, those clothes are beautiful. And those clothes are produced, unlike Louis Vuitton. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're made and they're bought. Yeah. And yeah, they were great. I mean, I, I loved, obviously, I loved the bondage story. I thought it was very well done. The tailoring was uh, insane. There were some things that were exquisite, you know, so constructed exquisite. and so refined. I was really, really surprised. It was very, very, very dandy almost in a way and very decadent, but in this sort of dark, dark uh, tone, you know. Which I which I like, and in yeah, a fun, yeah, absolutely. In a funny way, I don't know if you felt that, but uh, it sort of reminded me of uh, Olivier Tescans when he started, like the whole hook and eye construction and all this black. Oh, with the hook and eye thing. Yeah, yeah, and this kind of idea of corsetry onto tailoring. It sort of really made me think right. of uh, you know Olivier's early collections and this kind of beautiful darkness, this kind of romantic darkness, mm -hmm. and. I was really drawn into this kind of mood, you know. I thought he did that beautifully. And I love the mask and I love also the styling. It was really, really strong. Yeah, yeah. I agree. It was great. And the funny thing about Yoji, like what, what is really incredible about him and something I talked to, I said it to Craig Green because I recently interviewed Craig Green for High Snap. And we're talking about the idea of a uniform and an idea of a designer uh, going deep instead of going wide. And I just gave Yoji as an example. And I think, and I said, it's been 40 years. And you think, how much can you do to a black gabardine blazer? <laughs> you know? And just like year after year, Yoji like just wows me with like, well, yeah, you can also also do this and you can do that and you can cut it in this way and you can embellish it in that way. And yeah, it's, it's, it's quiet. I don't know of any other designer who has mined so deep, you know, his, his own aesthetic. And that's what I found very alluring and Again, me, in this collection, too. For me, it was also going back to what I said before, this idea of, of something 
which is like a sculpture, which really is 3D, you know, which sort of, um, there was something very tactile about the collection, but also this construction feeling really made you think of, of fashion as, uh, I don't know, it's difficult to explain, but it really gave you this, this feeling of, uh, of an object, of like a designed object. And you feel very curious. You want to, you want to feel that object. You want to see it. You want to touch it. it there was a complexity in the design that was very, very seductive. And I love that. And, and I think, you know, the more flat fashion becomes and the more 2D and lazy this kind of commercial fashion is, the more we're going to crave the, this, um, this approach, which to me is more about designing uh, a product, an object than, than fashion. I don't know if I'm explaining that clearly, but it's also the way I look, I look at somebody yeah. like Alaya, you know, and if you look at Alaya's garments, they are like sculptures, you know, they are like beautiful objects mm -hmm. that you can inhabit for a while. <laughs> but and, and I, yeah. I, I yeah. sort of felt the same way about Yoji that it was, uh, you could just look at the garment itself and it was as beautiful as a sculpture. And I don't know, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's this idea of something that is so artistic suddenly feels very fresh again. It's not cynical. It's not throwaway. Yeah. It's not trendy. It's not hype. It's just uh, an artistically driven uh, form of fashion. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I love, I always love that tension between a garment, really, you know, because a garment is inevitably made for the body. But when a garment stands on its own and kind of telling the body, I don't really need you. Yeah. But of course, you still do. It's to me, it's the that's something to think about. And hopefully fashion should give us something to think about. Yeah. It's, Otherwise, it's just clothes. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, 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 that's exactly why I was thinking a lot about Comme des Garçons and about Reika Wakubo, because she always pushed that sort of idea. And you're, you're completely right. It's about abstraction, abstracting the body, uh, focusing on clothes as a, a territory of research, of exploration, of experimentation, you know, daring, being bold, going for it. And that sense of adventure, I, I felt it in some of the collections this time. So I'm happy because for me, this has been sort of, you know, um, reformulated perhaps, but the spirit of, of research and, and that experimental idea is very much alive now. I, I kind of really felt that strongly this time in Paris, this, this search yeah. for something unusual, for something that your eye needs to adjust to, you know, it's quite powerful. And, um, that really made me feel very positive about, about women's wear, you know, and about what's going to happen next, because there's mm -hmm. a sense of, um, there's a sense of moving away from the dull nature of clothes, you know, this like boredom of clothing that we've all experienced yeah. lately, this kind of saturation of generic clothing that we're all exposed to. Yeah. Oh, I, 
Yeah, I could not agree more. And again, my hope is that the consumer will follow. That's that. That's sort of my fear. But I like the idea of designers at least trying to bring back this um, top-down approach. You know, where they're saying like, no, we're going to make real fashion and that's what we're going to offer, at least on the runway, because let's face it, who knows what's going to end up, like we said, in Louis Vuitton and Dior stores. Um, And and again, I want to go back to bring it back to the question of the audience, because Kim Jones can put most exquisite in terms of fabrics, at least. Uh, clothes on the runway and the only clothes I liked by Dior were uh, either those coats with with I think it was Jacquard of art I don't remember who the artist is and again it's gorgeous but again I question like who in your audience is going to buy this mm. stunning clothes you know and what is it even going to be produced because the last time I walked into a store it was just like a logo shop <laughs> with some clothes sprinkled here. I literally, I think I saw like one thing without a Dior logo on it in the man's store. And it was just pathetic. Yeah, and, I, and I've, I've become totally allergic to this logo story. I, I just cannot stand it any longer now. I mean, it's come to a point yeah. where, you know, even if it's a house like Chanel or it doesn't matter if I see a logo, I, I just want to scream. <laughs> it's really... It it just sort of hurts my eye, and it's it it sort of it depresses me to think that we went through that twenty years ago, and now we have to go through that again. You know, and it it's this kind of cyclical uh, thing with fashion that when the luxury groups twenty years ago started to consolidate, and when they were buying all the brands here and there with horrible you know outcomes. Uh, yeah. We had to go through logomania, and now it's the same thing again, and it just goes on and on. But okay, these are all cycles that you, fashion has to go through, and eventually, some designers go back to this idea of of real work, you know, and research and 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 craft and and looking for looking for something for something else. So hopefully, we're in that kind of moment. I'm, I'm very optimistic that fashion is going to go into that kind of direction again the consumer yeah that's a very good question i mean where are they going to go are they even able to understand that kind of language exactly that's yeah yeah that's exactly what i said like is it like pearls before swine like especially with the louis vuitton collection because there was not just art message it was a political message and so the front there is there's always a fundamental tension when fashion addresses culture, I think, because if you take art or politics or something meaningful and superimpose that meaning on what is essentially a bunch of expensive garments, like you better get it right. Because you don't, if you don't, that's what you're going to end up with, like Maria Grazia at Dior. <laughs> yes. You're going to end up with empty slogans on an $800 t-shirt. Yeah. So Expen- expensive feminism. I felt like with, oh. 
It's very expensive feminism, yes. <laughs> and trust me, I know the kind of people who've bought those t-shirts. These are not the kind of people you want to be in the same room with. But that's that's These what I find. These are not the women you want to be in the same room. But that's, with. that's what I find amazing. But at the same time, I understand why they buy the T-shirts because you can't escape it. I mean, it's like Kim and Kanye. You know, even though you might not want to even have an opinion on them, there's no way you can escape them because it's constant brainwashing. And if you look at how Dior yeah. employs so many influencers that wear all that stuff head to toe, then you know you you cannot say that. It's it's impossible not to see it. It it's just in your face constantly all the time. So of course people buy the t-shirt because it's brainwashing. It's it's complete brainwashing. And mm. and you know, I guess some of us find it hard to escape. I think that that's what it's about. You know, at the end of the day, people just give in. And yeah, yeah. that's that's what you would call, you know, fashion victims, I guess. Mm. Yeah, that's exact exactly it. And and that's why I thought, you know, with Virgil's show, with Louis Vuitton's show, I, I thought you need to be very careful to bring political messages. When you're showing, lo you know, co logoed coats with like head to toe LV monogram, like you need to be which careful. Is, which is probably what they will produce in the end. I mean, that's probably yeah, the, the garments yeah. you're talking about are the ones that people will actually order and, and buy on the shop floor. So here we go. Exactly. Yeah. So so when you invoke James Baldwin and put him next to the most bourgeois Parisian house in existence in fashion, I'm like, uh, you need to be really careful. And I understand there is actually Parisian James Baldwin connection because I think he spent some of his most pr productive years in Paris. But again, I want to ask which Louis Vuitton audience even knows that or, or, or will understand it. Or are you going to be selling tourist versus purist uh, baseball hats <laughs> <laughs> six months from now? <laughs> no, and I would I would also love to know. It's not, of course, it's not Paris, but I really want to know uh, what you thought about Prada, about the men's uh, collection. Yeah, um, I'm, I am. Since our last conversation about the women's, uh, more and more I'm seeing your point of view, and I and I did find it. It's almost it's so inoffensive, like it's almost not worth thinking about. To mm. be honest, like pretty, and you Prada can do pretty very well, obviously, uh, but pretty is the last word. Actually, I want to think when it comes to menswear yeah but that's just me um yeah i don't know there is not it, it was nice but nice is also the last word i want to use about yeah. fashion yeah because it <laughs> doesn't really nice really, nice doesn't really trigger any kind of reaction nice no is nice just, doesn't uh, uh and again, we all know what's going to happen because I've been to those Prada stores and each one of them looks like an airport shop. So who's going to buy? Okay, we're going to get the logoed gloves and probably some logoed bombers. And yeah, what did you think? 
Well, what I thought was, I mean, I agree with you, but what I thought the funniest thing for me was the, the Q&A session afterwards with all these students. Oh, like, oh, yeah. After the first one, I was like, I heard one was enough, but, but go ahead. Well, I mean, I, I watched the whole thing and it was so funny because none of these questions were critical. Uh, you know, they made sure that it was diverse enough so that they had, you know, everybody represented, you know, just because they really insist on this now, inclusivity, you know, diversity. And, and again, these are very important things in fashion, but the way they talk about it, and then you have Prada saying that the only person she thinks about when designing the collection is herself. So you start wondering, okay, how does that fit with all these buzzwords that, you know, you're like throwing into my, into my uh, face now, but anyway, and it was just the most, you know, ask kissing uncritical questions you could think of. And I was like, what is this all about? You know, I mean, we don't need to hear that. We don't need to hear like students gushing over the collection, you know, telling Raf and Mucha how amazing this is. This is also, I felt that was very, like very pretentious and very- Well, um, we know what it's about. It's about giving an illusion of uh, intellectuality, engagement, yeah. um, awareness. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. To when, 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 when there is none. No, no, there is none. And I, and I really have the feeling that she's not interested in any of that, but you know, it's probably being pushed on her by other people, you know, um, and that's why she does it. But totally, totally. Especially, and, and part of it is, you know, the 2019 fiasco uh, when when she got thrown under the bus for producing that monkey keychain. Mm. That's what it's all about. This is this is paying penance yeah. to, uh, you know, to the diet Prada crowd. Yeah. yeah, totally. Which, you know, at the end of the day means that it about. used to be a beautiful brand that would that would set the trends and Prada would prescribe and others would follow, and you would really wait for that show in Milan as the only show that had relevance. And now it's kind of, you know, it's over. So I find that, I find that very sad in a way, you know. And uh, it's an interesting one because if you try to think about a brand in Paris that plays the same role, there's, there's no one. You know, you, you wouldn't, if I ask you, okay, is there a brand in yeah. Paris that was, what was the most directional brand? Yeah, I don't even think yeah, you could. that sets the tone. Yeah, yeah. There is no. No, there's nobody. There is no brand that sets the tone. I no, and of. that's quite strange, right? I mean, you're thinking, okay, like a few years ago, we still used to be able to have that. But now for some reason, it's, it's not happening in fashion. So that's quite strange also, I find in a way uh, that yeah. we don't have this anymore. True, true. And I... I don't know what it is. Maybe it's maybe it's this overwhelming postmodernist phase we're in where everyone just goes in their own direction. Or maybe it's the commercial constraints that everyone is terrified. But you're right. And and actually, Vetement was that brand yeah. in Paris yeah. for like for the first couple of years. That's probably the last one I can think of where like they did set the tone. Yeah in terms of garments and styling and a lot of others followed 
maybe not in the direction we liked, but yeah, but it it, it was present. And now, yeah, and Balenciaga has become just the saddest story ever. But I think you know that could also that could also be explained by the fact that. Um, the calendar is no longer being followed by some of these brands. So they're not showing at the same time as everyone else. They have separate statements. Uh, they will show whenever it's convenient for them. So it's sort of like the whole calendar uh, has exploded in a way. It's become very fragmented and it becomes more difficult for us to extract messages. That's what I find a little bit difficult to a fashion at the moment. You you look at nice collections or whatever, but you don't know what the message is. And I think it's because, mm -hmm. as you said, you know, you're trying to please too many people and there's too many pressures on yeah. designers. So we should also acknowledge that, that there are so many pressures, not just commercial, but also from, uh, from a social and political point of view. There are many things that designers are not allowed to do anymore because they're forbidden. Oh yeah, you know. So of course, <laughs> uh, this kind of woke, this woke politically correct also discourse is something that prevents a lot of designers from doing what they actually want. You know, and there's a, a high level of self censorship there. Um, so maybe that explains. Absolutely. Maybe it explains why somebody like Prada could not really exist today because her collections used to provoke very antagonistic and strong reactions. And that's not what people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are ready for right now. You know, they're not ready for that kind of shock from, uh, from fashion. Course. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're absolutely right. I think the political correctness is a huge scourge on fashion right now. And you're right, people are afraid to take risks and people are afraid to have fun. Uh, people I'm talking about designers. Uh, yeah. Again, a designer like Jean-Paul Gaultier could not exist today. No, no way. No. <laughs> Which is why, you know, I, I liked uh, Jonathan Anderson's approach, this idea of, of being spontaneous, of having fun and, uh, and just going for it. You know, I thought that was, that was nice and refreshing. Mm -hmm. uh, not that it was, you know, his, his best collection, but still the idea that he would go into that direction, I found very promising. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully, uh, yeah, we're going to start having a bit more fun with, uh, with what we're looking at instead of, you know, mm -hmm. having to complain about it or spotting the, cop <laughs> spotting the copies, all the copies of things that we've already seen. Yeah. And, Spotting we... the copies of the copies by now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's copies of copies of copies. Yeah, definitely. So um, we 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 touched on recounts, but we didn't really um, discuss it. What did you think? Amazing presentation, beautiful garments, um, gorgeous shapes. You know, I can think about the puffer coats. They look like theatrical, amazing, yeah. like so desirable it was so sculptural and again this fearlessness you know like no fear and going for it and being true to himself and following his gut instinct that was very liberating and i love the collection such a such a beautiful proposal and very very confident you can really feel his confidence right now that he's yes. uh, and he doesn't even care 
what fashion is exactly now. you know he's just he just does what he wants to do he explores what he's interested in and that was extremely yeah. inspiring yeah well so the original inspiration for the podcast as i don't know if i told you it came from my wife and she okay. said well i remember your last conversation with rick and i've been looking at rick's work and so you should do this. This should have been a podcast and not an article. And she said, and the episode of the podcast should be uh, how not to give a fuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she's like, because I feel that in his fashion and I feel that in your writing. And that's what you should guys talk about. <laughs> and I thought. It's hmm. true. It's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, and it's so what you're saying. I absolutely agree. I think Rick is so comfortable, um, and he's promised to come on a podcast. So hopefully, um, we'll have him on. But you're right; he is so comfortable in his own skin and where he has gone, mm -hmm. uh, and where he is going, and what he has achieved, uh, and that's. A guy who has nothing left to prove, who will already go down in fashion as one of the most creative designers, who really charted his own path. And he just continues on his own path. Because if you think about it, there is nothing like it out there. No. No. You know, and, I, like, and you know, that's what we, we talked about last time. He, everything he touches becomes his. And you're right when you're saying that in 20, 30, 40 years' time, we will look at his clothes as precious historical moments of fashion. And I think that's also something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, looking at clothes and thinking, okay, like, you know, are we going to remember this in 10, 20, 30 years' time? And Hopefully, we're not going to remember Maya Gracia's T-shirts, but we will remember, <laughs> yeah. you know, Rick Owen's leather jackets because they're actually <laughs> new garments that didn't exist before. And he invented them and he invented this silhouette and he invented this look. And uh, yeah, this idea that he's, uh, he's made it into fashion history is, uh, is quite nice, isn't it? I mean, it's... Yeah. yeah. Against all odds, I have to say, because... You know, fashion loves to say that fashion, like fashion people love a freak, but they don't really. It's a very conservative, conservative crowd. Um, but to go back to the question of the audience, which is, you can probably imagine has been a lot on my mind. I think it's one of the things that what allows Rick to experiment is that he does have a tribe. He does have a core audience. Mm -hmm. Uh, that subscribes to his message, no matter how extreme it is. And that is the difference. Yeah. It, because, again, to Kim and Virgil, if Hybist, if streetwear, Hybist, if that's the audience you're cultivating, you need to think twice whether they're going to follow you or, they, or whether they're going to force you. Because for big brands like that, let's face it, customer is king. You know, and it's the customer who will at the end, yeah. in the end of the day, dictate. Dictates. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you don't have that with Rick because it is a top-down approach with Rick. It is Rick offering and having a loyal audience that buys into it and they buy extreme pieces. And 
I think that's a sort of an envy of every designer to have a cult following like that, that will subscribe to your vision. Definitely. And I think it's also about him. I mean, he's extremely charismatic. He's very articulate, very smart. Um, his life is also a, a creative work in a way, you know, yeah, he's, yeah. He's sort of so. He's the embodiment of Oscar Wilde's, you know, you one month must be a work of art, aware of work of art. He does both. Yeah. <laughs> he is the embodiment of that maxim. And he looks fantastic wearing his own stuff. So that's, the, you know, yes. that's the most sincere thing you could ever do is to to be that kind of designer and um no, he's, he's obviously somebody that we need to uh, we need to cherish, um, you know, in the in the fashion world. But okay, um, hopefully, you know, that will inspire new designers to um, to follow and and to to try to have that kind of voice and and yeah. gain that sort of following. And it takes time. And you know, he's been around for almost thirty years now, so it does take quite a long time. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of new designers, I thought uh, actually having this season where a lot of big, bigger houses decided to do things on their own terms and out of calendar, that allowed a lot of smaller designers to step in. Um, and we saw a lot of names on the calendar we don't normally see. And I don't know if anyone stood out to you. Uh, one that I like, actually, and that I've been following for a while is Borami Viguier, uh, mm -hmm. who is a French designer. He worked with uh, Lucas at Lanvin for quite a long time. And I think Borami makes uh, very interesting, intricate clothes that play with like uh, menswear codes, you know, things like workwear, formal wear, sportswear. But it's sort of like... He also has this weird kind of occult, uh, symbolistic world. So he's really into, uh, you know, things like astrology, meditation, things like that. So it's a little bit of a, of a strange mix, but somehow I, I like his approach and I like his garments. So I think he's, he's a very nice, he's a very nice name to, mm -hmm. to watch. Uh, but I think, you know, it's, uh, besides him, frankly, I'm trying to think of another, Young talent. I also, I also like what Lazo Schmidl does. Uh, it's two guys that design, design this collection. And I think it's very irreverent. It's tongue in cheek. Um, and, and funny. And I, I do like some of their messages. I think it's interesting. But besides that, yeah, I can't, I don't think it was a particularly stellar season for new, new talents. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I liked, um, uh, Sean Suen. Mm-hmm. This Chinese brand, that's that I thought was a standout. And I've been following them for several seasons. And I thought this was a standout just in terms of the clothes they presented. Okay. You know, fantastic tailoring volume. Uh, and I love the fact that they made everything in China with Chinese models and really world-class clothes. And to me, that there was a message in that of breaking these stereotypes about China, mm -hmm. you know, and what goes on there, that it's all just cheap crap and, you know, zero creativity. And I do think there is a new wave in China that's breaking these stereotypes quietly. Yeah. 
you know, Ziggy Chan, Noma Wang. But in this one, Sean Sun, I thought this was really good. And the video was beautiful, like a very calm, not trying to be anything other than it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the clothes. So I was quite happy to see a new name because again (laughs) i so would love to champion a new name but i'm kind of at a loss these days um and i don't know exactly what it is like yes there are always people attempt to say oh it's it's the age you know there's new generation and old generation doesn't understand it and maybe there's part of it but I think part of it is just the clothes are unexciting. I'm sorry. It's, yeah, it's I mean, there's, to... there's no one. There's no one that clearly stands out very strongly with you know a message that that you even remember. I mean, you know, that's the most basic thing yeah. that it's not forgettable. And I agree. I, I wouldn't really. I can't really think of anybody that is young and new and astounding. So, what do you think of uh, Ludovic the Sansonine? Well, the thing with Ludovic is that I I interviewed him already before, and um, he has a community, and he definitely speaks to a very very specific audience that understands what he does. But I'm not seeing how this kind of exposure and buzz are going to translate into commercial success. I don't really see how he's going to manage that. So I think, I think the story is there. I think the client is receptive, but at the same time, how is he going to create some strong signature garments? That's a little bit where, you know, I'm, not sure about about that because I, I saw some of his shows before and uh, you know I, I do find them inspiring but I don't know how this kind of image uh, is going to translate commercially what do you think about mm-hmm. it yeah I I totally get what you're saying um, I'm on the fence about it and I think it's for that reason. I think it's it's so specific. Um, and yes, you know, I mean, we can say that he speaks to this very young gay community mm-hmm. uh, that's there in certain, um, you know, whether it's in Paris or London or whatnot. But beyond that, yeah, it's hard to say. Um what I like is he's got this unabashed voyeur, almost like sexual exploitation <laughs> eye. Yep. And I'm kind of I'm 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 waiting, like, are you gonna be called out on that or is that allowed? Like, are you allowed like, is a young gay guy allowed to objectify other young gay guys? Or as a designer, are you not allowed to objectify because you are in a position of power? 
so to speak, as a creator? Well, he talks about this idea of the, you know, um, objectify man as a, as a nineties construct. He talks about this as, you know, like a Tom Ford kind of guy, a Gucci guy, you know, like the, this kind of man as sexual object. So he doesn't see that when it comes to his own, his own man. So I don't know, you know, mm -hmm. for him, it's more the idea of a protagonist as opposed to a, to a passive, uh, objectified person. It's funny. This is a very actually, I think now we're getting to a generational divide because I think we live in a world where I can no longer tell the difference between objectification and empowerment unless someone tells me. Because mm -hmm. I'm like, I, when Emily Radakowski sticks her ass into the Instagram and she says I'm a feminist and that's empowerment. I'm like, okay, if you say so, it looks like objectification to me. But if you say it's celebration and empowering and not objectification, then I don't know if I'm supposed to believe you and take you at your word or am I supposed to believe Myself, So there's a bit of a cognitive dissonance, dissonance in my mind, and I don't know which way to go. But, you know, Lud Ludovic's clothes, are, they're, they're very much about sexuality. I mean, I think we can say that safely. Yeah, they're about sexuality. But I don't know if it's object objectification or celebration. And if he says it's a celebration, then I guess we have to take him at his own word for it. Yeah, I, I, I don't really feel that it's so, uh, so kind of voyeur that way or that I don't feel that the models look exposed and vulnerable. You know, I don't get that feeling that they are, they are feeling themselves, uh, uncomfortable. I think they sort of enjoy it in a way. Mm -hmm. And, um, mm -hmm. uh, that makes it more, more empowering for me than disempowering. So I don't really get that from, from him. I just think for me, it's, it's, it's quite a small audience in a way. It's quite niche. Right. So how is he going to translate that into a, a commercial line that has success? You know, that's what I'm curious about because yeah. there's only a few retailers that, that buy it at the moment. So I'm not sure how right, right. he's going to take yeah. it to the next level, but he's obviously supported by very powerful people he's very well connected you know that way yeah but, uh, oh is he yeah he is yeah oh, okay okay yeah well i know rick is a fan i know that he's been to his shows rick is a fan and uh strangely enough olivier roustin also goes to his shows because they used to work together so he got that support okay. so it's a bit of a you know funny one because normally you don't okay. even get that for a young designer so in paris there is quite a lot of, you know, backup and support behind him. But right, right, right. For me, it's, okay. it's pretty much about, okay, like who, what's the commercial reality of this brand? That's, that's more, right. more what I'm right. interested yeah. in. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess time will show, but yeah. it is good to see a young designer being, doing something that's, that's his own. That's a statement. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's yeah. a statement. Yeah. So we come to 
best of season, worst of season. <laughs> Our okay. favorite segment. Well, we have the same favorites, I guess, you know, so it's quite easy. Uh, I yeah. took, for me, it's like Rick, uh, Yoji and, uh, and Undercover. So yeah. definitely worst. Same. Worst, I would say Dior because, you know, of what we talked about. Yes. Um, and Prada. And Prada. For you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Prada. But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of resigned now with Prada. It's almost like, you know. I've, well, that's exactly what I've, I said. I'm yeah. like, it's so inoffensive. You're kind of like, I don't even know. I've, I've been mourning the brand for a few months and now it's, it's fine. <laughs> I've gone through that. So in a way, I'm almost moving on. But yeah, the thing is, you know, there was nothing that I thought, oh, it's so bad that yeah. uh, it's going on to, which is maybe a bit of a problem too, because... Mm -hmm. We should have extreme reactions to things, but okay. The things that I loved, I really loved them. And for me, that's more important maybe this season than the things right. I, I hated, you know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And I think the worst is probably still yet to come because I don't think we've seen Celine menswear. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, that's coming. That's coming last Celine show. The yeah, women. That was, but that was really. Yeah, that was that was quite. That was. Quite, it's when yeah. you think he's not Eddie is not gonna cannot possibly do any worse. He just comes out and does. Because this wasn't even Top Shop. This was like Hollister. I think he got, I think he got sort of, you know, his finger snapped by, uh, by the marketing people and the salespeople because it really, it really went from like this bourgeois chic seventies vision to this kind of like forever 21 woman. Yeah. So I was like, okay, like what's, what's going on here? But it, it, for me, it's really like, I think the bourgeois look just didn't take off the way that they expected it to, to do. Yeah. And it didn't do as well as they thought. And now they're a little bit like, okay, so which, you know. Yeah. And this whole like TikTok strategy, I'm like, are you sure you're not going after audience that's maybe a little too young? You know, it's like 11 year olds now. <laughs> it's yeah. not even 15 year olds. And, um, it reminds me of uh, White Noise by Don DeLillo <laughs> when the professor teaches a marketing class and he says, you know, by the time you're 15, you're done. You're beyond marketers' uh, purview. Like, they go <laughs> after you when you're 11, <laughs> when you still haven't formed your mind. <laughs> I don't know. Let's see. Uh, let's see how it is. But it's it's the there's a bit of an identity crisis with this brand, I think, at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what's going on with Hyder Ackerman? Because that's another name. Have they shut down the brand quietly and haven't told anyone? I have no idea. Yeah, they, they, they didn't really. I mean, I heard that last time when he had the woman's show, it was a bit of a struggle to put it all together. But I haven't heard anything else since so i am not sure so i feel it's been like a year we haven't seen anything from from hyder yeah and also and the melemister which was bought by antonioli right so i mean yeah what's yeah. gonna happen well i that? know they're working on it so they're gonna present something eventually and they just i know they're just not ready yet from okay. what i understand Okay. Um, they still, I think they still have to put the team together and really like 
I don't think they want to start. I feel like they want to get it right before they they launch it. Reveal. Okay. Yeah, before they relaunch it. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, for me the same. You know, Rick Rick Owens undercover Yoji with phenomenals. I can't wait to get my uh, pentagram panties. <laughs> that's that's gonna be my look for next winter: pentagram panties and a shearling. <laughs> um, but but I did love Rick's collection, and I love those puffers with open shoulders. I love the shearlings. Uh, I also, but that's something I've always loved about Rick: that the connection between the man and the woman is very strong, mm-hmm. and it and it's still there and. I don't even care about like the erasing gender boundaries so much, but about the fact it's more, it's not so much a political statement to me, but as an aesthetic statement Mm -hmm. that like, you can do this if that's what you're comfortable with. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. As I said, it was very freeing, liberating and, uh, and sort of uh, instinctive, you know, and it, it just, yeah. that's what I like about him. And as you said, like he, he just doesn't give a shit anymore about, about fashion. And that's when he produces probably some of his best work ever. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and very modern. Yeah. Very modern. Very contemporary. Very, yeah. Very, very much his own. Cool. Well, on that note, um, I, I think we can wrap up here. Um, Thank you, Philippe. Always a pleasure. Yes, thanks to you too. You've been listening to the Styles I Guys podcast, hosted by Eugene Rapkin, produced by Patrick Leduc. Intro and outro music by Wesley Isolt of Cold Cave. Please support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Styles Thank you for listening.